0: the fourth episode of the Hali Hewa podcast with your host Abigail Kuma. This podcast brings together key African players in the climate space to simply share their stories and experiences as they advocate for climate justice and environmental justice. Today we are coming live from Eten, the home of champions, my beautiful hometown. For our viewers on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, make a point of watching this on YouTube so that you can enjoy the beautiful views of the escarpment. Our guest today needs no introduction. Vanessa Nakate is one of the most well-known young climate activists from Uganda. She is the founder of Youth for Future Africa, the Africa-based Rise Up movement, and One Million Activist Stories. She also runs the VASH Green Schools Projects, a renewable energy initiative which aims to transition schools in Uganda to solar energy and install eco-friendly so- stalls in these schools among many other things on environmental conservation and protection. She recently received the prestigious Elizabeth Hub Award for Environmental Law and Diplomacy in recognition of her citizen diplomacy in bringing the voice of her generation to global environmental campaigns and for her inspiring climate activism in Uganda and beyond. How are you? Good morning.
1: Morning. I'm okay. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. Nice to see you. Thank you for joining me today.
1: You're welcome. Very happy to see you as well.
0: I have interviewed a number of climate activists and experts in this space, and most of them have had some sort of inspiration that has led them to do the work that they do now. Some of them have had access to the natural world, such as forests, by living in them, and some of them have had personal experiences or or have witnessed climate impacts, which has prompted them to do the work that they do now. So I'd love to know what really inspired you to start this journey, and when did you know you really want to do this kind of work?
1: Thank you very much. Well, when I think about um, growing up, I think the only scenario I remember of seeing something that is about environmentalism was when My father was the president of a Rotary Club uh, in Bukulobi here in Uganda. And during that year, he led a campaign, uh, a mission green campaign to plant like trees in different parts of Uganda. So I think that was really the first time I, I got to see something about the environment, but I never really followed up after that, because that was around uh, 2016 or 2017. And then I remember in 2018, towards the end of the year, I started to do research about some of the challenges that the people in Uganda were facing. And when I saw that climate change was one of those challenges, I was you know, really surprised to see that we've studied about climate change in school. Many people have, especially I think in geography class. But then mm-hmm. what we learned doesn't show us that this is a crisis, that this is you know, an emergency that needs to be addressed right now. So I was really pushed to read more about it. And I got to see that some of the impacts were things that we're already seeing in Uganda, like floods and landslides. And that really triggered me to do something
0: about it. Mm-hmm obviously see we have something in common because I also come from a community that is dependent on rain-fed agriculture and with the impacts of climate change I was prompted to do something about it because it was adversely affecting our livelihoods being that uh, with the changing weather patterns and with the reduced amount of of rainfall it meant that our farm produce were adversely reducing and like I said we solely depend on this for our livelihoods Um, so when it comes to activism and youth uh, i'd say youth in, in the climate space and their engagement has largely revolved around non-deliberative proceedings such as peaceful demonstrations social media campaigns and protests where influence in decision making is not necessarily direct however in the past couple of years you have redefined what activism is and we have seen from your work um, it has been very impactful and it has had a place in spaces of decision making and especially in during um, international climate moments. So how did you begin this journey of activism and what inspires you to stay on this path? What is different about your activism that has had so much impact, not only within the continent of Africa or in Uganda, but also on a global scale?
2: Yes, um, so when I decided I had to do something about it, I started to, you know, look for ways because it is one thing to know that you have to do something about it, but it's another to also know what exactly to do. And in that time, I got to know about the Fridays for Future Climate Strikes that was started by Greta from Sweden. And I was really inspired to start striking as well for the climate here in Kampala. So I held my very first climate strike in the first week of January in 2019 and through you know that process of starting I started to reach out to schools as well to carry out, um, you know, climate education. And I held my very first climate strike in the first week of January in 2019. It has involved going to schools to carry out climate education because I believe, you know, there is so much power in teaching uh, students, especially children, about what is happening but also about their power or, you know, the power of their voices to make it a better world for everyone or, you know, the power of their actions to transform this world and this also included going to communities to carry out um climate education with the very communities that are experiencing the terrible impacts of the climate crisis, the very communities that are dependent on rain-fed, you know, agriculture. And we know that when there is no rain, uh, people's crops, you know, people's crops dry, people's crops die, and there is no food for people. And many times when there is also rain, it comes in, it comes in torrential kind of rainfall that just causes destruction of farms, people's homes, people's businesses. So I also thought that it was important to reach out to communities to tell them about what was happening but in the in you know while doing all that I would share most of the work on my social media and that really helped reach many people as well and I started to get invited for the different climate conferences and I believe that you know there there is a need to have people In the conversations about the climate crisis and above all there is a need to have communities that are on the front lines of this crisis in the rooms where decisions about our planet are being made and i also know that every activist has a story to tell and every story has a solution to give and every solution has a life to change and with these conferences or these platforms or you know the interviews i've always used those opportunities and platforms to talk about what
0: is happening and what needs to be done yeah um you've mentioned something very important which is the power of social media in this time and age and as young people we are lucky to have an opportunity to use very readily available resources and platforms where we can amplify our work and tell our stories and you have also talked about the importance of having communities and the voice amplified especially those who are at the forefront of the impacts of climate change which leads me to my next comment on uh, how does it feel uh, you know when you're on stage representing millions of voices who are probably not able to come to the same conferences as you How does it feel like for you being on stage knowing that you're speaking for millions of communities who are feeling the impacts of climate change to a great extent?
2: Yes, um, you know, being on stage can be, can have, well for me, it can be a mixture of, you know, emotions and also a mixture of knowing what needs to be said and what demands uh, need to be made especially on those platforms it can be quite hard especially when you have to constantly explain to people that the climate crisis is real and you have to keep doing this so it's quite hard that you have to keep convincing people that you know because of the climate crisis children are going hungry because of the climate crisis girls are dropping out of school or because of the climate crisis girls are being forced into early marriages so it's 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 it gets really hard when you have to bring in you know the the human face of the climate crisis which is very important because climate change is more than weather it's more than statistics it's more than data points it's about the people and what we need on those. platforms is to bring the people the story of the people the face of the people what happens to individuals what happens to communities when we see these droughts or when we see you know the the floods it's one thing to say that over 20 million people were affected by the drought in the Horn of Africa but it's another to get to understand the impact of this drought on individuals on families on generations that are going to come after this generation so sometimes it's really hard to talk about the you know talk about the human face of the climate crisis because it shows the extent of what's really happening but it's
0: also you know very important Mm -hmm. I I completely agree with you putting a face to the climate crisis and I think um, when you go to these climate conferences, it's very hard for us to see the people at the forefront of the, of the impacts of climate change being represented. And I completely agree with you when you say we really need to bring these people to these spaces so that their stories can be heard, so that the decision makers can see that cl- the climate crisis is actually affecting real people. Um, In the introduction, I talked about you, your project called the Vash Green School Projects, which you founded and is geared towards transitioning schools in Uganda to solar energy and installation of clean cooking stoves. So my understanding is that clean energy and people's health are central to your work. And you have also spoken avidly about just transition in Africa and have also been very vocal against the East Africa crude oil and pipeline famously known as the ECOP, which takes us further away from achieving our climate goals, being that fossil fuels contributes about 89% of the global emissions. And we know, coming from Africa, the discovery of oil, gas, and coal is seen as, as, as a gateway to money and economic development. So kindly tell us more about the project you're working on and why projects like ECOP puts Africa on an unsustainable pathway of development.
2: Yes, um, starting from, you know, the oil projects or the gas projects um, in Africa, we understand the situation that, you know, many African countries are facing. And that's why we demand, you know, a just transition to renewable energy. We understand that many African nations are trying to lift their communities or their people out of energy poverty and we know that activists have for a long time been demanding you know climate finance for the communities that are on the front lines of the climate crisis climate finance for mitigation adaptation, you know, and in addition to that, a compensation fund for loss and damage. But now we see a delay in the deliverance of the climate finance. We know that a $100 billion was promised to vulnerable nations, but it has not yet, you know, been delivered. So when these promises or when the climate finance is not provided to enable adaptation or mitigation to help, you know, economies build themselves in the most sustainable way possible it makes it very easy for the economies or the nations to accept money to invest in fossil fuels because they don't see any other option they see that you know over I know millions of Africans are experiencing or they have no access to electricity and they see that if there is no climate finance for this and this, then we have to use other means to provide electricity for our communities, to enable our communities to develop. And yet we know this is an an unsustainable path that is not only going to affect the people, the planet, but ecosystems in general, you know, rivers, lakes, and wildlife habitats. As we know, for example, a third of the ECOP, we'll go through the Lake Victoria basin, and about 40 million people depend on the existence of the fresh waters of Lake Victoria. So we see, I mean, it's very. it's a very complicated situation. Because nations are looking for ways to lift people out of poverty, and yet the promised ways of, you know, through climate finance are not being delivered. So they are opting for other ways of doing that, and hence the fossil fuel, you know, infrastructure development that we are starting to see, you know, not only in Uganda, but we are seeing also investments possible investments of gas for example in senegal so that's why uh, when we demand a just transition it is to really put the people on the front lines on the center know that this is not just a fight for the climate crisis it's also a fight to lift people out of poverty and for a just transition to renewable energy it means that the communities that are experiencing energy poverty right now that they are able to have affordable they're able to have you know to they're able to access you know renewable energy at affordable prices so that they can be able to be lifted out of you know energy poverty so we need climate finance for mitigation for adaptation for loss and damage for the communities that are on the front lines of the climate crisis and it's sad to say that if you know these nations uh within Africa don't see the climate finance to help their economies build sustainably they are going to choose other options that we know
0: are not friendly to the environment I completely agree and you're doing something about it with the vash green school projects kindly tell us more about that i forgot that sorry <laughs> it's
2: okay with the with the vash green schools project um this is a project that involves the installation of solar panels and eco-friendly cookstoves in schools in uganda and it's a project that i started in 2019 and this is a project that was started because many of the schools in uganda heavily depend on firewood for you know preparation of food and we've interacted with schools and the teachers understand the impacts of cutting down trees for firewood they know the impacts of that but then they say they don't have alternatives and children cannot you know come to school and not have anything to eat and don't have lunch or breakfast prepared for them so again it, it goes back to if there are no alternatives people will use other ways or other means of survival and through this project the eco-friendly cookstuffs heavily reduce on the firewood that is used in the schools and of course with the solar to you know it helps bring electricity to these schools and also um to to help schools have this smooth transition to renewable energy and so far we've done installations in 29 schools and hoping to work on as many schools as possible to ensure that all the schools have access to clean you know renewable energy and have access to the eco-friendly cookstoves that can help them reduce on you know the firewood consumption because people need alternatives you know people want students won't stop eating if there are no you know alternatives so there, there there is a need for alternatives to help people live
0: more sustainably yeah yeah that's quite a commendable job uh, having installed in 29 schools is quite something and i hope you know in future you even expand to places like kenya because you also have that common practice within at home within uh, schools here in kenya where we usually cook with firewood. So, and you talked about energy access in Africa, and I was having a conversation with with um, a climate scientist also on this podcast, and he said. Uh, For Africa, we must put energy access and climate change at the heart of development. So these are not things that can be separated because, you know, uh, as Africans, we want to put our people out of poverty. We want to come out of the sinkhole that we've always been in, but we do not want to start this journey on an unsustainable pathway. And this can only be done with climate finance. And uh, as you've said, climate finance is actually a very key recipe in ensuring that we as Africans have or rather experience just transition. So thank you so much for that. And while you were uh, putting out your points, you also spoke about loss and damage for Africa. And in your activism, you have also come so strongly uh, when it comes to financing for loss and damage. And one of your most powerful rallying cries, which I always love when you speak about is we cannot adapt to lost, lost traditions and cultures, we cannot adapt to starvation, and we cannot adapt to extinction. So do you mind explaining what loss and damage in the context of climate negotiations is about, and what loss and damage means for African countries? So
2: um, the climate crisis is pushing communities and people to places or situations where they cannot adapt anymore and for so long we've talked about adaptation which is very important and that's why even in the demands for you know climate finance there is a need for climate finance for adaptation and something that i you know forgot to mention was that the 100 billion dollars that was promised and not delivered is no longer enough for mitigation and you know adaptation just to make a note on that so we've been talking about adaptation which is has which has always been important and is still very important but now we are in a situation whereby some communities cannot adapt anymore where in places where adaptation cannot work anymore because when you know droughts like what we saw in the horn of africa or oh, the the hunger crisis that we've seen in Karamoja that's in Uganda which has left um about 500,000 people with no access to food when those things happen you know you realize that you can't adapt to the loss of lives or you can't adapt to starvation you know when islands are submerged you know coastlines are submerged you you can't get that back you realize that you can you you can't adapt to the loss of you know islands you can not adapt to sinking islands because they they are gone they have been submerged by water when you think about extinction once you know species go extinct they are gone you know they are gone we won't have any adaptation methods to bring back those species they are gone so we realize that now in the conversation of you know the climate crisis we are not only talking about adaptation but we are also talking about loss and damage that is happening right now and that is climate the climate crisis is pushing people in places where they cannot adapt anymore and that's why there is a need for a loss and damage facility to help communities that are experiencing the worst impacts of the climate crisis you know to help communities or people that have lost so much because of the climate crisis when you look at what happened in Mozambique with cyclone Idai that caused so much destruction left more than 1,300 people dead that that there we see is loss and damage lives you know were lost people died property was destroyed economies were taken backwards and they have to work to you know get back to where they were but all this needs money all this needs support we also know that mozambique had to get a loan you know to address the impacts that were caused by the cyclone and this shouldn't be happening these are countries that are not responsible for the climate crisis so even as we head to cop27 there is a need to have the conversation of a loss and damage facility in fact we we need to move away from conversation because we've been talking about it and we know about the Glasgow dialogue so we need to move from talking about loss and damage to actually talking about real action talking about real money to be put in place for the people that are on the front lines the fight for the climate crisis in the end of everything it's a fight to help people to help you know communities get better to help people thrive and to just really help people be lifted out of the climate crisis, be lifted out of you know anything that doesn't let them live the way that they should live.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, it it doesn't make sense to have a country like Mozambique um take loans to recover from a uh, climate disaster yet. As Africans, we have contributed about just 4% to the global emissions and this conversation about climate finance and now finance for loss and damage really needs to be taken up because communities from Africa, especially where we come from, are continuing continue to face these problems and are, are getting deeper and deeper into these problems and putting them further into abject poverty. So we really need to do something about climate financing come COP27. And you talked about uh cyclone die in Mozambique and um recently unfortunately in Uganda uh, your country experienced flash floods and it led to the loss of lives and and loss of properties, loss of 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 um of shelter and leaving most of those people with no access to clean water. And I'm really sorry that that happened to you and your people. And I remember seeing that on the news and I instantly, uh, you came to my mind and that is you and your friends who have been speaking about this thing over and over again with little to no action. So what was that like for you? I can imagine it was really hard for you to bear being that you've been this you've been in this space for so long you've been trying to speak about it you've been trying to rally while leaders to do something about it so what was that like for you
2: um these these floods happened in the region of Mali and it was after heavy downpour and of course it was a very it was very devastating to see like what what had happened and also to see how they the people living in that area were saying they had never seen anything like that before and it left over 20 people dead and of course thousands of people displaced and thousands of property destroyed and like i've said farms destroyed water sources contaminated and leaving people in hopeless you know situations whereby people don't know what to do next they have lost it all and I believe it was devastating for so many other people um, across the country and many people were talking about it and you know we've really been talking about the climate crisis we've been talking about the impacts we've been talking about some of the things that are that were already happening within Uganda and how people were being impacted and it's very sad that many people didn't take that seriously it's very sad that many people even made jokes about it that activists were exaggerating the climate crisis but when this happened something they had never seen before uh and how it impacted so many people in bali then people start to realize that actually something is wrong you know something is happening but it's very sad that People have to wait to see the worst to actually believe that you know the crisis is here and it's impacting people right now. So it was quite devastating for so many people, uh, I believe, and I hope that you know we can we can do something. We can you know from that devastation we can get the strength to organize and mobilize and demand for a future that rightfully belongs to us, but not just
0: us, but also the coming generations. Mm-hmm. Completely agree with you. Um, you've spoken about very sensitive topics such as loss and damage and your experience with the flash floods in Uganda. And we know we are moving to COP27 this year in Egypt and everyone is calling it an African COP. And we know that uh, most civil society organizations and even activism have been coming. I mean activists have been coming together to to sort of develop a shared narrative of the African continent and putting our points together and articulating our priorities for cop twenty seven especially for the african continent and so as we move to cop twenty seven with the issue of loss and damage in Africa with the issue of loss of of just transition with the issue of climate impacts, mitigation and adaptation what is your message to the one leaders Camco CamCop twenty seven and what would you say are the key African priorities for you as an activist?
2: Yeah, um I'll I'll first mention that, you know the COPing in Africa is not what will make it an African cop. One of the things that will make it an African cop is to really have the representation of African activists, African communities at this scope. And it's evident that many activists are trying to figure out accreditation and funding. So if, you know, anyone is able to support any activist with accreditation of funding, just do it because we need to have as much representation as possible of activists from Africa at COP27. And I think the other thing that will really make it an African COP is when it highlights what is happening on the African continent but also in other areas that are on the front lines of the climate crisis to really highlight the loss and damage or in general the impacts of the climate crisis and what needs to be done so well for me um my my key messages i believe are around loss and damage that is happening right now and the need for a loss and damage facility and also the issue of climate finance in general for mitigation and adaptation yes Like I said, the $100 billion is no longer enough. More money is needed to help communities that are on the front lines of the climate crisis. And it's very important that as people head to the COP, they understand and know that the african continent historically is responsible for less than four percent of the global emissions and yet it's suffering some of the worst impacts of the climate crisis so we need justice for the people on the front lines we need justice for the african continent we need justice from you know the most for the most affected people and the most affected areas as we
0: head to cop 27. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that, and you've highlighted such an important point of making sure that you know African activists or people at the forefront of the impacts of climate change are seen actually attending COP27 because that is the only way. We can share our lived experiences of the climate crisis and also at the beginning you talked about um, climate education and awareness creation within our communities being that a lot of us africans are experiencing the impacts of climate change but can't pinpoint it to climate change because we do not have enough information about what is happening so um i really do hope that as we go to cop 27 we will have more people joining us on board it's it, it doesn't have to be just us activists or people in this space who know that care. Rather, we need to really rally more citizens of the African continent to understand what is happening for us because I believe there is power in solidarity. I believe there is power in numbers. Thank you so much. We appreciate having you on the podcast and keep doing the good work and I hope to see you in COP27. Thank
2: you for this platform as well.